they call it Sunday with Mac. Hey, Mac, I'd like to tell you about a vigil, a Vietnam veterans vigil, which is coming up on the 3rd of August. What's happening is that for the 50th anniversary of the start of the Vietnam War and the 60th anniversary of the end, there's a few people trying to organise a little memorial at the grave of every one of the 532 soldiers who were killed in Vietnam. There's a website called VVV, Vietnam Veterans Vigil, vvv.org.au, and it's got a little service and it's got the places, the names of all these young boys and the places where their remains are or they're remembered and it's a big Australia-wide map and so people can look at this and then say, right, on the 3rd of August, I'm going to go and visit that grave and I'm going to read these words like a little memorial service. I might even play the last post or something for the person. It's just going to be on that day that all 532 soldiers are going to be remembered and told that their sacrifice wasn't in vain and that their country, their friends, their family and the community haven't forgotten them. And especially for their mates who had this terrible feeling that they'd left their mates behind. That Australians all know, if you're rich or you ain't got a cracker, they tell stories so grand of this vast timeless land and they call it Sunday with Macca. They all call it Sunday with Macca. Yeah, they all call it Sunday with Macca. Get on with it, Macca. Thanks, Dig. I will. Good morning and welcome. Our number, 1300 700 at gmail.com. That was Padre Jim last week, early in the morning, ringing from Vienna with that lovely story. And if you want to follow it up, you can go to that uh, website, vvv.org.au. And when he rang, after that, I played a little poem, which I'd recorded from a bloke called Doug Morris in Brisbane, and Padre Jim knew Doug. But anyway, after all that, we had quite a bit of correspondence, like this one from Sue Von Vold in Rolling Stone. That's in North Queensland. She says, would there be any chance of getting a copy of that poem by Doug Morris read on your program this morning? I'd really like to read it at our Anzac Day ceremony this year or probably, more appropriately, at the Vietnam Vet Service. And Sue got this amazing correspondence which she sent me from Doug. And this was Doug's story because people should know, many people probably don't know, that during the 60s there was sort of conscription for the Vietnam War. And what happened is if your birth date got called up, it was in a barrel, and if your birth date got called up, you were in. And if you didn't, you're out, you're home free. And that caused a lot of consternation. But Doug Morris, who I met in Brisbane and recited this poem, sent this story. And it's about Vietnam and it probably mirrors a lot of stories. He said, As a young man, I worked in the Commonwealth Bank and was required to register for national service. Four of us bank johnnies, as they were called, boarded with a widowed Mrs George in Redcliffe in Queensland. Each of us had to register and astoundingly, three of us four had our birth date drawn from the barrel. But not me, said Doug. The first bloke had asthma and he was deferred immediately. The second didn't want to go at all. So we helped by rubbing him all over, except a couple of bits between his legs, with coarse sand soap. We then poured Mrs George's perfume all over his skin to create a magnificent purplish puce-coloured rash. 
He travelled by bus, and all the passengers kept well away from him, to the army doctor in Mary Street, Brisbane, for his medical. At the end of the medical, the doc said to him, "Uh, "'Well, have you, son. I see you're a farm boy, so you get up early in the morning and you do what your old man says, and you can probably shoot straight too.' He replied, "'But what about my rash?' "'Ah, we'll fix that for you, son. Don't worry about that.' Anyway, he was bussed off to Puckapunyal Army Barracks in Victoria. Then six weeks later, he turns up at the doorstep of Mrs George's to announce that the army had tossed him out. All because I contacted a rash they couldn't heal. And I was just getting to like it too, he said. Nonetheless, my third mate, a farm boy also, went to war. He served in the cavalry as an APC driver. Two days before he was due to come home, he drove over a mine. He received multiple non-life-threatening injuries. He was flown back to Brisbane where we picked him up at two in the morning. I lived with him for some time after his return and witnessed his duress during nights in particular. His sleep was so, so often disturbed. Walking to the bank one day, a car backfired. He dropped instantly into the gutter at the side of the road. I went down with him, saying, What are we doing here? He replied, Seemed like a good idea a second or so ago. Eventually, after some time, my friend left the bank and went back to work on his dad's farm. So many vets suffered PTSD over so many years. And Doug Morris says, I was thinking of him around 2000, 2002 when I penned the poem that I read for you as a tribute to him and they who dare. I've penned many poems since and self-published an anthology titled Defining Some Moments in 2021. This particular poem has all rights reserved for the Redcliffe branch of the Vietnam Veterans Association of Australia, says Doug Morris, and he says, the sentiment of my poem remains ever so true. And if you missed it, and you probably did, I'll play that poem for you now. I can't know the fears and never the tears that only a war can bond. And I can't walk your road, I can't share your load up there to that great beyond. But I have real respect, for you did protect freedoms we all share. You fought with a pride so we could reside with our families. They love and care. And our country is free thanks to people like thee. Yet... You carry the baggage of war, for you return to your homes and like old garden gnomes were silent of what you saw. And through autumn years, reunion still sears, images now so surreal. And when old soldiers die, your memories deny what your minds have tried to conceal. It's you who I toast, a veteran who hosts a history hard, rich and rare. And I'll stand to give for as long as I live. True thanks to you who dare. G'day, this is Macca. Yeah, g'day, Macca. Rob McGavin here from Coral State Olives. All right. We were just talking about olives last week, Rob, uh, because we had a bloke ring us from Granada. Yeah, Yeah, Lee from uh, Canberra, the policeman from Canberra, and he was wondering why we didn't have a vibrant olive industry. So I... um, I missed last week's, but I listened to it on podcast, and I thought I'd better ring up and set the record straight. Yeah, good on you. Well, that's what <laughs> I, I said because he said, um, "Did he say forty million olive trees here in Spain?" I think he said. Um, I'm not sure if the you know I don't know how you get that number, but something something like that. And I said, he said, "Oh, I don't know. Well, haven't got a vibrant." I said, "Well, because when I go shop, there's always mostly Australian olive oil now. Never used to be, maybe, but there's a lot now." But tell us the story, Rob. Yeah, so a friend and I from Ag College 25 years ago, um, not long after we left when we were young and silly, we decided to plant some olive trees and we got our family and friends together to help 
help fund us and and we've just evolved from a you know to Australia's biggest grower of what we now own Cobram Estate olives which is a, a brand i'm sure many people are familiar with in yeah, the supermarket of course and you know we've we've got a really unique position because we produce you know super high quality and lots of your listeners probably don't understand that or don't know that extra virgin olive oil is a juice of fresh olives and it hasn't had any heat chemicals or solvents used in the process which makes it super healthy where the other mainstream cooking oils have and it's also a bit of an adulteration game. The New Yorker wrote an article um, quite a few years ago saying that there's more money made out of the cocaine trade than, <laughs> sorry, out of the olive oil trade than the cocaine trade without the risk um, because of blending and cheaper oils, obviously. So it's highly sought after and, um, you know, we're really proud of the product we produce and we we have 17,000 acres, two and a half million trees, and we crush every olive within four hours of picking and um, win lots of awards and just focus on quality and we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fantastic consumers who turn up and buy our, our products every day. couple of questions first. What what ag college did you go to? Uh, Marcus Oldham Ag College in Geelong. Marcus, so small, yeah. yeah, It's a small sort of um, independent college um, that, that you know, students from all over Australia come and study agribusiness and agriculture and equine management. Yeah, and because I always try to, because uh, um, uh, when I was young, I was going to be a farmer. Uh, but but <laughs> but um, I always try to encourage people. You know, if they're looking for young people, especially well, you know, parents and grandparents who are listening here this morning, and the, and the kids too. Uh, an ag ag college is a is a great way to go um, because olives like you. You know, one minute you're ag, ag college, next minute you're growing olives and. You know, look what's happened, but um, and that could apply to lots of things because everybody's got to eat. Seven billion. You know, people talk. They say, "Oh, breeding like flies or breeding like rabbits." Huh, what about breeding like people? We've got seven. Bi- <laughs> we've got we, we, we've got seven billion and counting. I mean, and they've all got to be fed, Rob. So, um, I mean, it's a no-brainer, as they say in the modern nugget. Get into agriculture. Yeah, it's so true, and so many ag colleges have gone broke, and Marcus has thrived, and. Um, it's a really special place. So it's it's set a lot of people up. It changed their life. So I agree with you. The, the other thing he said, uh, our friend from was, – was it Anthony Kell or was that Anthony? Lee. Lee, was, I reckon. Lee. Uh, yeah. Anthony was in Alaska, wasn't he? Yeah. Sorry. Um, and, and he said something – you know, he's talking about, you know, why don't we have a thriving industry in Australia? And because – wouldn't be expected to know, and I drew the analogy. Well, we grew up with sheep um, in Australia, really, when in modern Australia, and and in Spain, olives have been part of the culture since whenever. So it's no wonder that because he, he said well, everywhere you go with olives, and everybody knows about olives, but that's because it's part of their culture, isn't it? But but but. Olive oil is fast becoming because we we often get calls from people and you know say oh what are you doing oh we're shaking olives here I you know I'm picking olives and I go around doing various orchards and stuff like that so it's uh, it's big and growing Rob isn't it Yeah look it's a really fantastic um, you know industry in Australia and there's so many passionate growers and you know they they talk about it but it's just such a healthy product but there's a huge difference in quality which is really the health benefits between good quality stuff and poor quality stuff and unfortunately you know when we first started most people thought extra light and pure were superior products whereas really they're the rotten olives that are picked off the ground and refined Mm. with heat chemicals and solvents and don't have the good stuff and slowly we've educated and Australian consumers are really interested and love buying Australian product and 
now they realise that extra virgin olive oil, you know, is is fantastic when it's fresh and um, that's what our focus is, is trying to produce a good product. And I suppose because, um, as you know, the Spanish and others would export olive oil all, all around the world and so it must have been fairly hard, uh, a bit of a hard task for you, but I suppose exciting one too to, to get oh, where you got to. We, we had some near-death experiences. I, I could fill in an hour, but I know you don't have that time, <laughs> but we nearly went broke so many times. It was trial and terror and... But, you know, it's it's one of those overnight successes. It took 25 years and we're just, you know, it's, it's nice. And we had huge competition and oh, aggressive competition. And, you know, lots of people don't know that only 25% of the world's production is extra virgin, which is the highest quality juice of olives, no heat, no chemicals, fresh olives. But 65% of the world's sales are extra virgin. So if you don't sort of know and trust the brand you buy, you'll, you'll be cheated. And unfortunately, that's that's where the health benefits, the flavour and everything come from. So we we certainly had a long road, but it's the Australian consumers who brought us through. So we can never take them for granted. And when's harvest time, Rob? Is that now? Oh, or? we're about to start. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we've done a couple of days, um, but after Easter, we'll get into it in full, full swing. So and what we've just did, done a $30 what? million upgrade on one of our plants at Bort. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so we're madly... the, the Ruth and the crew up there are madly trying to get it all finished before we start. So uh, and looking what, good. But what did the weather and the rain that's been around the place do for olives? Has it been good or no? It wasn't a, wasn't ideal, but it's pretty good. It will have a good crop. Um, the, the it rained a lot during flowering, but you know it delayed flowering a little bit. But a set was good, and um, you know so far so good. But it's it's always hard to tell when you're picking. I think it's something like. 80 billion olives that to know exactly what, what what's going to come out of them. And, you know, and, and weather has a big influence on just how much oil they accumulate in the fruit and, you know, and also the quality. And, and the, again, it might be strange, but we only put half of our total production into Cobram, which is the best half because it's a natural product and we mm. want to make sure it's the very best. You know, so then we've got to have other places sell the other half. And if we want to grow Cobram, we've got to plant more olives. And yeah, it's, we're the olive people and we love it. And now we're a listed company. So if you've got yeah. billions, billions of olives, you need lots of bees too, I suppose, Rob. No, we don't. We're so lucky. They don't, bees don't benefit olive pollination. So no, it's all wind pollinated. And we're, we're really, really lucky in that regard. You learn so much here on Sunday morning. Good on you, Rob. Great to talk <laughs> hey. to you, mate. I'll, I'll bump you sometime. Thanks so much, Macker. If you're down near Board or Boundary Bend, we'd we'd love to show you around during harvest. All right, mate. Good on you. I'm not going to pick. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, the machines do all that. Thanks, Macker. See you, mate. Bye. How are you, Macker? Yeah, good. Who's that? It's, it's, it's Carl from Bowen. Oh, the veg grower. G'day, Carl. Hey, how are you, mate? I was yeah. just I was just um I was saying to the girls I, I haven't rung for a while because every time I think about ringing, it's too late because of daylight bloody saving. Well, that's what happens, yeah. So what's happening? Yeah. What can you tell us, Carl? Well, I can tell you that the seasons, uh, we've had some good rain, a lot bit like Cairns, had some good rain, the dams are full. Um, everyone's busy, busy, busy planting veggies. Hopefully it's a good year. Um, last year was quite um, difficult with all the rain during, during winter. Um, Shortage also, of tomatoes? Oh, last year there was, it was, they weren't as many around as, as normal because most growers lost 40% of their crops. Mm. Um, so it did affect it. The price was a bit higher than it should have been, and the volume was way down, which is bad for the consumer and bad for us. I'll um, say. Um, yeah, and, and um, a few other things are going on. We've got a, a food festival, uh, multicultural one, on the 3rd of June, which is a Saturday. So it'd be a great time for you to come up and do your show on the Sunday. 3rd, um, 3rd of June, yeah, right. 
Yeah, June, and it's we're celebrating Queensland Day. Um, and um, that time of year is gorgeous, as you know, up here. And um, you'd, have a, you'd have a good time. We've got to get you back because no one, no one thinks you'll ever come back to Bowen, and I know you will. <laughs> I know you will because we'll look after you this time. <laughs> yeah, that'll be nice. Uh, so what else are you doing, mate? Uh, also, we've been working, went to New Zealand last year to field days and run into the Rubber Bank, and they sponsor Surfing for Mental Health. So we're actually working on a project now to go sailing for sanity, um, to try to help all the people in rural communities um, that are doing it tough mentally at times and just need to get away. And and so we're, we're working with um, sponsors to actually pay for everything so people can come to the coast, do a bit of sailing, just relax. You know what it's like. You when you're on the ocean, you just forget about the world. Um, and, and actually hopefully reset a few mental wellness with people and, and, and hopefully save lives because there's far too many people in rural communities that terribly take their own lives just pure just sadness and it's we've we got to stop that it's terrible it's a it's a good message and it's a message for everyone wherever they live city or country i i think getting out and about doing something like sailing if you can but sailing needs a bit of you know you need a boat for a start and somebody who knows what they're doing but but just getting out i think is a good good message for everybody carl and it's it's most important isn't it what well, is it? Look, my, my sailing, all the groups all the way down the Queensland coast, I'm sure across Australia, they have days where they have twilight sailing, weekend sailing, where the general public can go with no experience and just go on a boat and crew. Um, and that's what we're aiming for, to, to mix normal people with normal people um, so they can make some friends and, and hopefully stop the scourge um, of mental illness that affects everyone, especially in the bush. But another thing, just tell everyone, if you know someone out out in the bush or out in the country, haven't talked to them for a while, just ring up and say good day. Make sure they're okay. Um, with all the with all the floods and and stock losses and everything that happens in the bush, unfortunately, um, most people in the sea don't want don't want to like to realise to, to lose what we lose sometimes here, and, and especially with animals. When you lose, you know, two, three thousand, five thousand head of cattle, they're not just cattle; they're your friends, um, and it, it hurts you. It really does. So um, encourage people to call a mate, say good day. Um, just make sure everyone's okay in the country because without the people in the country, there's no food. There's no food. We all die. Exactly. All right, Carl. Good on you, mate. I hope to see you on the third. I'll see what's, uh, what else we've got to do, but um, I'd love to come up to Bowen, mate. Um, we'd, we'd, and, love, we'd, love to ho- we'd love to host you and, and uh, make sure that we yeah. try to look after as good as we can and, yeah, you and just show want, around. You just want me to come and pick capsicums, and it's not, it's not going to happen, <laughs> Carl. It's just not going to no, happen. No, actually, we're not, we're not picking until mid-June, so you'll miss out on that, I'm sorry to say. Um, <laughs> you'll right. miss out on that. So you'll just have to come and just point the finger and, and go, what are you, what's happening here? What's right? happening? Good on you, Carl. <laughs> Good Enjoy your day. Thanks, Morning. mate. Bye. This is the All Over News. Complacency in life is often our biggest enemy. Look at our experience with bushfire and floods over the last 10 years and COVID in the last three years. We were complacent and unprepared. Same could be said about the flu. New research reveals Australians unconcerned about the seriousness of influenza, despite significantly higher cases already reported this year compared to last year and increasing international travel and migration. And winter's just around the corner, and I've just got a feeling it's going to be a little cold one. Professor Robert Boy is a paediatrician and infectious disease expert, and I've asked him to join us this morning to pierce that not-serious label that some people attach to the flu. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Ian. Good to be with you. You too. Where does this come from, this not serious thing? 
Well, we've been through a lot with COVID and a lot of people have died, especially the elderly. And we've forgotten that flu is a major threat and every winter it comes along and kills about 3,000 Australians. So it is important and it is worth preventing and two thirds of people recognise that and get vaccinated, but one third of the vulnerable people over 65 don't get vaccinated and they really need to protect themselves with a simple effective thing like a vaccine. And the thing about uh, that we learned or we relearned during COVID that, oh, wash your hands, all those sort of <laughs> things, sneeze into your elbow, use a handkerchief or whatever, they're still relevant. Oh, yeah. Social distancing, keeping uh, apart from people with symptoms, wearing a mask in settings where you're crowded, whether it's a sporting event or work or a concert, you can protect yourself if you're a vulnerable person. Say you've got immunosuppression, heart, lung disease, you're someone over 65. The combination of taking practical measures, which are quite simple, combined with getting yourself protected with a vaccine, increases your protection markedly. You mentioned 3,000 deaths. There's nothing to say that we won't have one of those really bad flu years where you'll get 15,000 deaths. Well, we won't get that many, but we could easily get as many as... 6,000, which we had back in 2017, and we had 5,000 in 2019. This is shaping up to be a moderate to severe season, maybe not as bad as those, but definitely one worth worrying about and worth preparing for. And right now you can get a vaccine, so why not do something about it? And you've got to have a personal experience with the flu. Yes, I have. I've been doing research for 20 years, and I only went to a funeral for a bright young University of Sydney student, only 31, and he uh, had been doing fantastic research in nursing homes where they would do early diagnosis of flu and introduce measures to diagnose and treat people to prevent flu from progressing to a deadly form. So that was lovely research and, uh, and you know, it's a tribute to him and I'm so sorry he's gone. Christian was moving on to research with early diagnosis for COVID and early treatment in nursing homes and you know it's a credit to him and the research that uh, we did all together that we can make a difference in nursing homes but they are so vulnerable they are so at risk and if they get flu or COVID they can be very ill and they can uh, be referred to hospital and many will die so so much better to prevent it. So the things we learnt during COVID or relearnt during COVID about washing and distancing and masks in appropriate places plus a vaccination still apply and should be used. Oh, they do, Ian. There are simple things that we can do. They're effective and, you know, we want to protect our aunt, our grandfather. You know, I lost my father in his early 70s from flu. It's something that we want to prevent. Robert Boy, thank you very much. Pleasure, Ian. Good to be with you. This is the All Over News. And as Anzac Day approaches, I think we're seeing more recognition and appreciation of the role our Vietnam veterans played. This from a high school in Sydney, Sydney Technical High School, from the principal Stephen So, who announces an Anzac assembly to unveil a Vietnam honour board. He says it will promote appreciation and understanding of the sacrifice and experiences of the Australian Armed Forces personnel who served in the Vietnam War and who completed their education at Sydney Technical High School. It's fitting that the 2023 Sydney Tech ANSAC Assembly, on the 6th of April, that's a Thursday, that's next Thursday, we will unveil a Vietnam War honour board to recognise Tech Old Boys, as this board fills the gap of the social and military history of the school and community. And this applies, I suppose, to many schools across Australia. 
Stephen So says, Our World War One and World War Two boards demonstrate the vast commitment of the school since its commencement in 1911 to the service of Australia. Ken Stevenson, tech old boy and Vietnam War veteran, has conducted over a thousand hours of research and has discovered the names of 92 former students at Sydney Tech High who served in the Vietnam War. A Vietnam Honour Board honouring tech old boys at the 50th anniversary since the last Australian soldier left Vietnam is well overdue. Last week on the program, we mentioned Matthew Flinders, the man who gave us Australia, and that there was a Flinders reburial to be organised in Lincolnshire. I have a message from Lindsay Perry who says, Ian, whilst we've been monitoring activities in the UK relating to Flinders reburial, I received a message last Tuesday from Jane Pearson, who's the chair of the Matthew Flinders Bring Him Home group in Lincolnshire, and she advises that the reburial date has been put off again and is now likely to be July 2024. Given that there are people in Australia who intend going to the UK for the commemoration, it's unlikely, but I would hate to think that someone would make plans on the basis of what they heard last Sunday. Would it be possible to make a brief announcement that the reburial service has been postponed until July 2024 and it won't be March 2024 as previously advertised? Says Lindsay Perry. Thank you, Lindsay. And to things naval from Christine Dickett's She says, Ian Stanhope is having the official opening and dedication of the Montevideo Maru mural on the 15th of April at 11am. Some call it Montevideo and some say Montevideo Maru. Anyway, we're planning a great day with Preston Salvation Army Band. Lots of visitors and relatives of those affected by the tragic sinking of the ship in World War II. It's a very interesting, poignant story which has brought a lot of visitors to our small town, says Christine Dickett's. 15th of April, 11am in Stanhope. It's David on a charter boat. Is that right, David? Yeah, morning, Macca. How are you, mate? Good, thank you. What are you up to? Uh, well, we're uh, on a charter boat. Uh, we've just left uh, Port Lincoln Marina. We've got uh, 34 passengers and five crew, and we're heading down to North Mitchell Island to do some shark cage diving. So we're going to put some people in a cage, <laughs> put them in the water so the sharks can come and have a look at them. It's a bit like a reverse zoo. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Uh, and I suppose that's very popular, is it? Very popular, yeah. It's been uh, it's been fantastic uh, over the COVID uh, period. It went a bit slow, but we kept on going. But uh, since then, it's been uh, been very good. L- hard to find sharks? No. Uh, no, no. We've had a, a fantastic uh, record for the past six months. Uh, I don't think it's been a day where we've uh, missed out. So we've been very fortunate to see uh, multiple sharks uh, each time, and uh, it's, it's been wonderful viewing them. Biggins, big, big sharks. Big sharks, yeah. I think the biggest we've seen lately is uh, oh, over four and a half metres. That's a, that's a big shark. <sighs> Holy mackerel, that is a big shark. Yeah, yeah, no, they're fantastic. Majestic creatures and uh, they're watching them in their natural environment do what they do naturally. So it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a real thrill for people because they come from all over the world, all over Australia and uh, have some different levels of anxiety getting the water and the cage. These things, they're protected you know, the people are protected, of course, and, uh, but it's still a fairly daunting thing to do. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd like to do it, actually. So what, they've got a, a snorkel on, or a, how do they breathe down there? No, no, they have a, uh, they have a regulator connected to a manifold. We uh, supply them compressed air through that, and uh, a bit like a hooker, you know, and they, uh, they're underwater. They're not um, very deep. Their head's only probably about 80 inches underwater, but uh, they're all kitted up in a wetsuit and goggles and weight build and a regulator and uh, in this cage and the sharks come and visit them and and uh, 
have a look at them. Yeah, all right. Well, well David, um, and, and what sort of weather you got out there today? Well, I've got about 10, 15 knots southeast here at the moment, so there'll be a little bit of a splash and crash uh, on the way down the island. But when we get there, we'll anchor up with the island between us and the weather and we'll make it nice and comfortable for them. So I think we'll be pretty good. Good boat, good sea boat, and uh, I think the weather's going to be quite, quite nice for that, especially when the sun comes out. It'll be fantastic. All right, Dave, you and the Sharks, uh, enjoy. Okay, mate, thanks a lot. Have a good one. Good on you, bye. Hello, Macca. G'day. Uh, Tim from Western Australia. I'm in Zimbabwe, in between Bulawayo and Vic Falls. What are you doing there, Tim? Good morning. Good morning to you and, and Australia. I'm, I'm basically travelling around as I've done, this is the seventh year, with COVID interrupting, uh, as a volunteer teaching basic life support to anti-poaching patrol um, guys and girls in, in about 10, 12 different locations around Zimbabwe. That sounds sort of uh, interesting and also probably dangerous. Oh, it's fantastically beautiful. We're, I'm actually we're surrounded by elephants at the moment. It's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm at a little camp uh, in a place called Dete, where a guy, Australian guy from Queensland, runs a... Uh, he releases animals that are caught in snares. And we did a course for his troops yesterday... Uh, 36 with some teachers from a local school um, and uh, taught them first aid for the first time that they've done a bit of introductory first aid. So how did you get onto this gig, Tim? You you said you've been doing this for seven years. Yeah, I I was a founder member of an organisation called Save African Rhino Foundation. We formed in Perth in 87. And uh, in my retirement, I've been collecting medical gear that's thrown away in Australia for 40-odd years, and I send it to, to different countries. I've been sending a lot to Zimbabwe here. But when I retired, I decided to, to come out here and teach a little bit about the equipment that I'd sent here, most of which have been sold at the marketplaces. But now I get the guys, to, uh, guys and girls to keep it, uh, neat and tidy and put it in their packs so they, they can take it out to the bush where they get injured a lot. They got shot at and uh, injured, <laughs> infected, and they're a mighty bunch of people, still with a smile on their face with lots of difficulties. So we've always heard about poaching. Is it getting any worse or any better, or what's the story? Well, it is worse at the moment because these poor folk are so hungry. They're very, very poor. Zimbabwe has got huge corruption problems. Um, and the, the 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 average people are struggling to to eat. They make very little out of what they poach, but in rhino, with rhino horn and elephant ivory, the middlemen, uh, far east mainly, make huge amounts of money. Whereas the poor people here just make enough to feed themselves and their families for a, a few uh, for a few months. I see. So Tim, where are you, where are you? You between Sulawesi? Where did you say you were between? But between Bulawayo, Bulawayo. and uh, Victoria Falls, uh, um, off the edge of Hwangi National Park, which is a huge national park that was started in the 1930s um, as a reserve for wild animals, um, as inhabit most of Zimbabwe, uh, but they're under pressure from communities as they grow, um, being killed and poached and snared. Um, and marvellous animals that we obviously don't see in Australia as much, but rhino, elephant, a leopard, lion, 
It's the adventure of a lifetime, and I urge Australians to come here and see this beautiful part of Africa. Um, so you, fantastic. you, so Tim, you mainly stay in Zimbabwe, or do you travel around? Or uh, in Zim, I, I'm from Oz. I'm just here for a month, uh, but I travel. I do about five thousand k's and a little uh, Doris the Delika, a Mitsubishi Delika that's been loyal to me for six or seven years and uh, do about 5,000 Ks and visit about 12 to 15 different areas where they um, where we've supported over the last 30, 34 years. So is Zimbabwe, tell me geographically, a big place? Is it like compared, say, to Western Australia or Victoria? What's it look like? No, it's, it's in between South Africa, uh, Mozambique and Zambia and Botswana and Namibia. It's a little country landlocked. I, I, know, um, I know that, but the, I'm talking about the size of. Yeah, no, it's not not the size of Australia. It's a lot smaller. It's, it's a uh, probably what five or six hundred miles north to south, I guess. Um, uh, but it's um, a beautiful, beautiful country. But my... Zim, Zambia borders. Yeah, the borders. I, I said, yeah. All right. Well, Tim, nice to talk to you this morning, and uh, yeah, keep up the good work. I suspect. Good to hear you all. Yeah, thanks very much. I rang you from Indiaba a few a few weeks ago from a phone box, so I thought I'd uh, do this as a bit different. I was saving money for my trip there. <laughs> <laughs> good on you. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, Tim. All the all the best, Macca. Thanks very much for the program. It's lovely to listen to you. See you Thank right. you. Bye. Good day, Macca. Steve. Hi, Steve. How you going, mate? I'm just heading from Bendigo to Arno Bay, and good morning, nice morning for it. Big drive. I'll bet. Um, and what are you, why are you up this early, Steve? Um, well, I've, I've been away. I've had to go to Bendigo for, for some funerals and weddings and birthday parties. Now I'm just heading back to go to work. I'm, I've got to be back at work on Wednesday mm-hmm. in Arno. So. so I got up at 2am to head up the road. I'm at Keith at the moment, so cruising along. And what have you got to report over the last uh, week, Steve, that you've seen and heard and done? Oh, just, uh, I'm just glad to be going home, and it's just nice to be listening. I listen to you every Sunday up in Arno Bay, so I thought I'd give you a quick call on the road. And so it's quite nice looking as we're driving along. The sun's coming up. It's good. <laughs> what uh, What do you do? Um, I'm a, I work on kingfish farms. Oh, wow. Grow kingfish out on the ocean. Yeah, uh, so. At Arno Bay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a hatchery there, and we also got a place in Arno Bay and in Port Lincoln where we grow kingfish. They they grow very big, don't they? Kingfish, or they can do. Yeah, they 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 do. Not what we grow them reasonably small, about four kilos, and then kill them at that size and send them all over the world. So around Australia and around the world. Uh huh. Yeah, but so, uh, you catch them out in the because uh, I uh, I know a bloke who catches them, kingies, uh, out there. Uh, on the ocean, and uh, yep. they they can be a big fish, twenty or thirty kilos. Yeah, yeah, yep. like a tuna. No, not yeah, as yeah, big as a tuna. You know, yeah. they get as big as well, not quite as fat and round, but as long. Yeah, I'll say. I've done tuna fishing for like twenty years, so that was good <laughs> <be> fun. <laughs> so, and and you enjoy that? Yeah, yeah, I love it, love it. Yeah, best job I've ever had. So, I went to Bendigo for three weeks, and I was, can't wait to get home. <laughs> Bendigo is where I was born and bred, but. Uh-huh. I've lived in South Australia, up in that area for about 22 years now, so love it. Yeah. All right. Well, good on you, right, Stevie. Mate. You take care and we'll see you soon. All right. Enjoy your drive, right. mate. Ciao. Thanks, mate. See, see ya. ya. Bye.
Macca, my name's Bede. I'm ringing you from Newcastle, mate. Heading over to Stockton Beach to go, hopefully get a surf in. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the way to go. Absolutely. Well, I can do it now, mate, because it's only six o'clock and the sun's up. <laughs> these idiots. I won't get into the politics of these idiots with bloody extended daylight savings, mate. They never think of the surfers. <laughs> we can't surf in the dark. No, you anyway, can't. You need to know know what you're doing and look where you're going, I reckon. You don't want to get hit by a big one when you can't see it. Well, mate, I also don't want to get hit by a bloke in a grey suit swimming underwater. So um, I want to be able to see what's under me. So that's all good, mate. So mate, the reason for my... Go on. Sorry, go on, mate. No, you're right, you're right. Oh, what a, the reason for my call is um, I'm part of a beautiful family called Disabled Surfing Australia. And... Um, had the pleasure of going down to your minor beach yesterday and helping 46 people who have many different forms of disability understand what it's like to catch a wave. Just, yeah, one of the best things I've ever found in my life, mate, giving back to other people. So, yeah, it's just awesome. I had to ring and let you know. Oh, good on you. And um, what's, what's, is it the group got a name? Yeah, Disabled Surfers Australia. Right. And, uh, and, uh, able-bodied surfers like you go and um, look after them and that sort of thing. We had. Um, it was. Just, I'm. I'm the president of the um, Hunter branch. There's twelve or thirteen branches between across Australia and one in New Zealand. They've just set up, and we we take people. We need a, a cook on the barbecue. We need a person on the registration table. Then we need young, fit bodies to. Um, take people out into the surf and let them come back in. We've taken people, I know yesterday there was a, a gentleman who was probably 110, 115 kilos, lifted him out of his wheelchair, put him onto a board, and we do what's called a Cleopatra lift. So he's above everyone's shoulders and gets carried out the back. Wow. And the board turned around and brought and let the wave bring him in. So, yeah, it's un- unreal, mate. Smart. Unbelievable. And the, Smile on his face. Mate, that's how you get that's how you get paid, Macca. I tell people, um, look, you might not go home richer in the wallet, but your heart will be exploding because you get paid in a million smiles. It's just, it's it, yeah, it's like nothing else, mate. It's just watching people who will never get that opportunity ever to do something, and yeah, you just you go home a better human being by helping someone else. You know, that's what volunteering is all about. Bede, where are you heading? Where are you heading for today for a surf? Uh, Stockton Beach, mate. I'm actually on the back of the dinosaur right now. I'm at the peak <laughs> of Stockton Bridge, going over. So, um, right. yeah, well, I'm going to the I'm going to the White Pointer Nursery, mate. It's between <laughs> Stockton Beach and Peruvi Bay. Oh, so. stop it! Stop it! <laughs> Good on you, Bede. Great to talk. Keep Thanks, in touch. Ian. See you, mate. Thanks. Take care, mate. Bye. Bye. This is from Monica. Monica says, further to your comment about an Italian saying about a bride who gets rained on her, on her wedding day being fortunate. Well, the saying was, well, this is according to Richard Whittaker, sposa bagnata, sposa fortunata, which he says means wet bride, lucky bride, fortune, I suppose, wet bride, lucky bride. Um, and Monica says... Um, if it rains at a wedding in Japan, they also have a saying that literally translates as rain falls, the ground hardens. This variously translates into calm after a storm and strength from adversity. But in the case of a wedding day rain, 
I always thought that it meant that rain solidifies the foundations of the marriage, which is rather nice. Says, uh, oh, she's got, um, this is the expression in little houses and stuff, and the transliteration. Ama fute ji katamaru. Says Monica from Mooney Ponds. She's a Japanese translator. Is Monica. Good on you, Monica. Thank you very much for that. How's things in Mooney Ponds this morning? Um, that's, uh, uh, yeah, nice. This is from um, Jennifer, Jennifer Drinken. She says, Eden Killer Whale Museum has lost a sperm whale skull. And she sent a photo. You should see it. Huge, absolutely huge. We were given this skull by a trawler skipper who had caught it in his trawl net about 25 years ago. The skull was stored off-site for a decade while the unbearable odour of rotting whale meat dissipated and it was able to be brought into the grounds of the museum in Eden. The skull was placed in the grounds of the museum with some interpretation explaining the anatomy of a sperm whale and was understandably fascinating to many visitors over the years. Recently, we had large extension done to the museum uh, necessitating the removal of the skull from the grounds during construction. A local chap allowed us to store it in his land in town. A large block with secure fence and gates by the bay. Last Monday, he came to us and reported the lock on the gate had been cut and the skull was gone. The theft has been reported to the police and any information anyone should have should be reported to the police. Our community is understandably gutted by this crazy incident. Why would anyone want a large sperm whale skull? Well, people want everything. You just have to mention it. No, yeah, we want that, yes. As extension is now complete, it was to be brought back into the museum grounds and displayed with other samples of what bone, um, of whale bone, sorry, for education purposes. Could you mention this sad occurrence, Ian? Says Jennifer. Jenny Drinken is the secretary of the board of directors of the Eden Killer Whale Museum. Our museum has permits to hold such marine mammal pieces and there are hefty fines, if you're listening if permits are not in place when you have them. Judy's in a phone box. Where are you, Jude? I'm at Woodgate, south of Bundaberg, ringing from a phone box oh. near the War Centre Pass, Centre Pass, uh-huh. Woodgate Community Hall and Woodgate Bowls Club, where there's a fair on today, but because of the rain, only one... Stalls turned up, but they've got lovely fruit and veggies, so I'm going to go over and buy some. Oh, good on you! Um, in Woodgate today. Uh, Woodgate, <laughs> yes. And you don't own a you don't own a mobile phone, or you just thought you. I, re- I I do own a mobile phone, but I listen to you regularly, and I would just like to say how wonderful it is to have public telephone boxes. My ten year old grandson rings me on a regular basis when he's out and about from a public telephone box, and it, the advantage of this is that... That bloke's bipping his horn. He's listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're bipping. There's not very listen, many what, cars here, but my grandson's learnt my phone number off by heart because of public telephone boxes, and that's an advantage. Now, listen, would you, like a, would you like a T-shirt? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. You can... You can uh, we'll, we'll send you a T-shirt. You hold on there in the, in the phone box. Just... <laughs> You hang on there and we'll uh, get your details and we'll send you a uh, straight all over. And it's got a phone box on the front, a big phone box with a coat of arms and a parrot and a cockatoo and all oh, that. Fabulous, oh, fabulous, fabulous. And, and, and it's made in Australia. 
It's made in Australia. How about that? All all Australian made, mate. Hard, hard to get these days. That's wonderful. And I'd just like to say, listening to the Redcliffe um, poem that was read out about half an hour ago was very moving, and thank you for it. I have a cousin who was a returned Vietnam vet, and it made me think of him. See, and I wouldn't, uh, and I said to Lee yesterday when we, because we, we had a great response to that, and it was Dougie, Dougie Morris, and it's a great little story too about <laughs> how, yes. how they rubbed their mate with sand soap, ruffle, and then they poured, because they were staying in a boarding house, Mrs. George, I think, was under boarding house, and they poured, poured the, her perfume all over him after they'd rubbed him with sand soap, and he had this purple rash all over him because he was trying to get out of going to Vietnam because you get you used to get called up uh, and if your number was called your birthday date was That's pulled right. that you were yeah. you're in the and others who didn't get their number were home free could go and you know go up the pub yeah. or do whatever they you know what I mean it was just a, a real lottery in life but I suppose life's a lottery but anyway it didn't seem very fair at the time but so no, we happened to be in Brisbane and we bumped into Doug and I, I spoke to Doug because Doug's a watchmaker I spoke to him about being a watchmaker and all those sort of things but um and he just happened to mention um, that he wrote this poem about Vietnam with Anzac coming up. And, it, yeah, it was very moving, very lovely it's poem. It's a beautiful poem. I must ring my cousin and ask him, has he listened to the story too? We'll, we'll put it on our, I think we'll put it on our podcast today, uh, Jude. But, um, Good there idea. You, there you go. You can hear, but it was, it was at St Paul's in Brisbane and we couldn't go anywhere because lots of people around. So you'll hear the sound of buses and I think the odd magpie or peewee in the background as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, typical Australian, beautiful. But I do remember that era. I was part of it, and um, it was just a lottery, wasn't it? it? Was shocking. It was. It was terrible. And you mm. know, five hundred and thirty-two. The 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 website for um, they want a vigil, a VVV Vietnam Veterans Vigil uh, on the third of August, I think it is. So it's vvv.org.au, isn't it, Kel? I think that's right. Yeah. Jude, it's great to talk to you. You're a first phone box caller, and for that reason, you get a T-shirt. It's beautiful. You'll look lovely oh. in this. Jude, we'll have to find out what size you are, and uh, but you you hang there, and Kel will get your details, okay? Thank you. Good to speak to you. You too. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.